Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Beer and Biceps podcast. Uh, today I will be looking at five reasons why your diet is failing. So if your diet is going really well, you probably don't need to listen to this. But please do anyway, because, you know, I could really do it for the listeners. Um, most diets fail, um, even when some diets achieve their, may look like they've succeeded, most of them fail because they don't have a... Um, well, they don't have sp- well, I'm about to give the reasons why they don't succeed, but most diets fail, and uh, some of them fail spectacularly, some of them fail um, mediocrely, if that's a word, and some diets you think you've uh, succeeded, but 12 months later you're not only back to square one, but you've actually gone further back than you were in the first place, so that would be called a failure. So um, these are five common reasons why your diet is failing, has failed, or could fail in the future. So, um, also if you can hear my dog barking in the background, as long-term listeners will know, it's impossible to shut him up. This is the third time I've had to record this. Um, He's quite far away, so hopefully you can't hear him, but it's very irritating. Right, step number one, uh, your diet is too restrictive. Um, If you listen to my podcasts on the keto diet, on the paleo diet, even to some extent to the vegan diet, um, many people fail to succeed with these diets because they're too restrictive. They, um, not so much, not necessarily in how many calories you can eat, but in the amount of foods you're allowed to eat. Um, Any diet that's too complicated is going to be very, very difficult to uh, to succeed. I think the reason that the vegan diet is so successful, despite being one of the most restricted diets at all, is that people um, get into an entire philosophy with it, almost like a religious sort of thing. So if your diet is um, inspiring enough, you can survive on it. So, you know, a vegan would not eat butter or meat or something like that because the the idea of doing it is disgusting to them so you know doing that can make it a lot easier to follow even the most restrictive of diets um and i'm not here to say don't do a vegan diet there are loads of benefits to doing it and as i said it's, it's a moral reason for a lot of people so yeah um but if your diet is too restrictive for large amounts of people you will fail at that diet um be it you know, coming back from the pub drunk and, you know, wanting to eat something nice and only being able to eat kale or something like that, you know, if that's that's all that's in the fridge, but your roommate's got six sausage rolls, you know, what's going to happen? Um, so I think a successful diet is one that is not restrictive, um, but uh, is, you know, you find it easy to limit. So, you know, you can trip up but you can move on afterwards. So that that's the difference. Being too restrictive is just um, puts you into such a difficult position. And it's all, it's like you're not allowed to slip up. And it's just uh, it's an all or nothing sort of mentality. And that doesn't work because for 5% of people, you know, you can just go all in and live the rest of your life like that. And then the 95% of people, they just can't. Um, so when picking a diet... Um, Pick one that's more reasonable. Uh, I will talk about how to do a proper diet at the end of it. Um, Okay, reason number two. uh, Your diet is too ambitious in its goals. Uh, So I've I've met so many people through personal training who've come to me and said, I need a six-pack 
in three weeks before my holiday. I say so many people, probably about 10 people, but that's a lot of people to have had such a ridiculous goal. But I've also seen, you know, hundreds of um, variations on that theme. It's setting yourself up to fail. If anything, having a ridiculous goal, which is only three weeks long and expecting results, yeah, of course you're going to fail, but at least it's a very short time and you can reset and move on and restart again. But I think sometimes one of the biggest problems is when they're too ambitious, but also too long. Um, So, you know, I'm not going to eat uh, junk food for the rest of my life. That is too ambitious because you're human and you're on this earth to enjoy yourself to some extent. Um, But also just like... um, creating too big a calorie deficit you know only eat trying to survive on 500 calories a day when you need to be eating 2000 that's too ambitious and it's going to lead to health problems um setting you know um going to the gym for seven days in a row for your first week uh, and then you know expecting to keep doing that forever it's not going to happen you you need to be more realistic with yourself which kind of brings us on to point number three um which is not having any real goals. Um, I could have said realistic goals because that comes under it, but most people don't have any goals. They just have the most um, vague sort of idea of what they want to achieve and no plan on how to do that. And if you've got that, how can you even know if you're on target? Like, you know, I want to lose weight. Well, if you lose one kilogram or... 40 kilograms you know which one was your goal you know have you absolutely smashed it or have you nowhere near like it's not a real target whereas if you said i need to lose four kilograms you know within the next 12 weeks maybe it's a little bit ambitious but it's still a proper goal um you know so if you are embarking in on a new diet you need to have proper goals and what and what falls under this umbrella as well is having a realistic idea of where you are currently. Like, you know, how much do you weigh? What? It's difficult to estimate your own body fat, but you can give yourself a rough idea. And, you know, what's your activity levels? You know, um, I always get, um, whenever uh, I've been, like, got a new client, something like that, I always got them to um, measure themselves with um, Taylor's tape, which is, you know, like a measuring tape sort of thing. So put it around the abdomen, around the waist, and yeah, there is a difference between the two, um, around the chest, around the arms, around the legs. Um, so, you know, if you're trying to, especially if you're trying to lose weight, but also if you're trying to build muscle, you can actually see the difference in the measurements. Um, so, you know, write that all down, have it all laid out, and then go, right, so this is what I started with. What is a realistic target to aim for? Um, this can be quite difficult for somebody who's not a fitness professional to work out. So obviously the best situation would be to have someone telling you, but you can sort of just go, well, all right, what's a sort of realistic target? I, I currently weigh, you know, 95 kilograms and I'm 28% body fat, according to my guess. You know, what what's a good what's a good goal to have and it might just some people might benefit from not having a weight-based goal at all just go all right i'm not exercising at all my goal for the next 12 weeks is to um hit the gym twice a week or walk fifty thousand steps a week or um 
eat less between meals. Or some people could have really, really specific goals, like I want to drop down to 90 kilograms because that is within my sort of acceptable weight for my height. And yeah, people have a lot of problems with BMI, but if you're not a complete expert, it's good to have a rough idea. So find out what your BMI is supposed to be, you know. One of the big problems they say is people that are very, very muscular can, you know, offset the charts. Are you very, very muscular? If not, you could probably do with having a rough idea of scientifically where you're supposed to be. Get, you know, take a look at it. Use that as a starting off point at the very least and go, all right, according to my BMI, I'm seven kilograms overweight. So why don't I set as a goal to lose five kilograms? What's a realistic time to do that in? You know, I... Later on, I'm going to say that you want to break them up into 12-week things. 12 weeks to lose 7 kilograms would be very ambitious, in my opinion. So you'd probably say tw uh, 24 weeks and then go, all right, so what's half of that? Um, you'd probably say lose 3 kilograms in the first 12 weeks, lose 4 in the next. So anyway, that's your setting realistic goals. Um, obviously, you need, you need to spend more time on that, and it's a bit more boring and all that sort of stuff than me doing it on a podcast but if I went all the way into it nobody'd listen so step number four um, overestimating your calorie expenditure um, this just means thinking that you're burning more calories per day than you are if you're using something like my fitness pal or something like that to est estimate how many calories you're supposed to be burning you know people sort of seem to think that um you know, you get like this, um, are you inactive, active, moderately active, very active, elite, you know, something like that. Most people would actually be a lot closer to inactive than they would be towards very active. Yet many people, especially ones who like walk to work or something like that, tend to put themselves higher up than they are. It would be better to think less of yourself in this situation, like when you're setting out calorie targets, unless you really are in the gym all the time and exercising hard and hitting 10,000 steps a day or whatever, you're probably overestimating how much, how many calories you're actually burning, which means that you're giving yourself too many calories to eat, um, you know, um, and you're not actually, you're not actually in a calorie deficit. So, be realistic about that and turn that on its head as well. You know, be the person you want to be. If you say that you're, you know, very active and then make sure that you are, you know, live that life. And then you will find that you're actually burning more calories anyway, which could really help kickstart that fat loss. Right. Number five um, is kind of the flip side of the. Uh, no, it's not the flip side. It's the same sort of thing, really. But it's underestimating how many calories you're actually consuming. So this is this is the biggest one out of all of them, really, um, other than maybe being too restrictive. Um, we are terrible at guessing our calories. So, um, like, there's like there's this big anti-diet movement at the moment, which is saying you know like logging your calories is a terrible idea and it can um, affect you know like cause eating disorders and all that sort of stuff. I I massively disagree with that. I think. Eating disorders are not caused by um, that. They're caused by um, emotional problems and uh, history. And, you know, a lot of that, it's a very small percentage of people actually have actual eating disorders. And you shouldn't change your entire diet philosophy to match them. 
they should have their own specific stuff and ho- uh, hopefully they do they have you know nutritionists and dietitians who are actually qualified to tell them how to lose weight for most of us logging our calories is a very good idea because most of us have no clue whatsoever of the amount of calories we're consuming like you can't just guess it how many calories are in a steak dinner I don't know off the top of my head and I've logged calories for years how many calories are you know are you having for breakfast don't know how many calories are you having for dinner don't know it's it's impossible to know so you can sort of guess a bit but that tends to lead to people taking either not enough of a calorie drop or way too much and then failing because they're being too ambitious number two um so logging your calories at least to begin with to get your rough idea of what you're consuming each day is a great idea um but you need to log everything like if you're creating a calorie deficit of 200 calories so you you're you know you, you've done my fitness power it says you need to eat 2000 calories to maintain your weight um then to lose weight you want a deficit where you're eating less than you're burning so you know go all right well I'll give myself a target of 1800 um most people, if they're hitting that 1800 calories each day, you know, on my fitness pal or whatever, they'll probably find that they're not hitting 1800. It's probably closer to 19 or even 2000. And the reason is, um, people just don't log properly. Um, the biggest one is, and I've said this loads of times, is um, uh, forgetting to add the oil they use to cook their food in because tablespoon of olive oil is 115 calories. Yeah, if you're you you know if if you only use one tablespoon of oil between a family of four, you know it, it's marginal. But who only uses one tablespoon? You know, normally when you're cooking with it, you just chuck the bottle upside down until your pan's covered. Um, but you could be adding an extra two hundred calories to your day without you know in a second without even thinking about it. So either get very very strict on logging everything, or give yourself a slightly bigger deficit. So, you know, 300 calories rather than 200, just to accept that, you know, you're going to go slightly over it. Um, If you give yourself too big a deficit and stick to that impeccably, then that's a problem. But as I said, most people aren't. And you'll be able to tell if you're losing weight too quickly, you know, then just, you know, increase that food a bit. Because you don't want to lose too much too fast. Um, It's a sign of an unsustainable diet, which, again, was right up there as number one being too restrictive. Uh, right, so that's five common reasons why people's diets fail, and I'm just going to give a quick uh, uh, ex- explanation of how to fix this and to set, create a good diet that you can actually follow. So um, this isn't a complete guide. You can find that on my website, several in several articles I've written, or you can just find it online from even better writers. But, you know, this is just five quick points um, that you should think about when designing your own diet. One, keep it to a 12-week period. And then, you know, if you need to do it for the rest of your life, that's fine. But just split them up into 12-week periods. Um, it's a, it's good. That's what people do when they're strength training. They, they go, right, this is a 12-week period. Um, then they look at um, on a weekly basis and how it all ties together. So there's a whole plan for that. Do that with your diet as well cut it you know you know don't go oh, i'm gonna do a six month diet that's way too long to think about 12 weeks is about right anything short is a little bit too short um you probably won't see great results unless you you go crazy and then you're not 
setting yourself up to succeed because you're just thinking of those eight weeks and then you're not going to do anything else. This is 12 weeks. The moment that's finished, have a week off and then straight back in for another 12 weeks. Or you can do it so that they, the moment one finishes, another begins, but at least you're splitting it up into manageable portions. Okay, um, another point, measure beforehand. I talked about this when saying uh, in point three, no real no real goals, set goals, set them well. Um, again, there's an article on my website which I'll link to in my on the page for this podcast, if I remember, um, about proper goal setting. Um, I've written an aggressive calorie deficit. What I mean by that was what I was saying about underestimating calories. Um, don't go too aggressive, but if you've got, right, I need a 200-calorie deficit, be a bit more aggressive with that deficit to um, counteract the fact that you're probably going over. So give yourself a 300-calorie deficit, and then you know if you can be a little bit more lax with your um, logging. If you're the type of person who is going to remember everything and be really bang on it, and you, um, the better you get at doing it, the easier that will happen. So you know, if you've been doing this for a year, you'll be fine, and you won't need to do this. But especially in the beginning, be a bit more aggressive than. Um, than you're advised to be just because you're probably going to be missing loads of stuff if you find that you're absolutely starving at the end of the day that you're sleeping badly all that sort of stuff then it shows that you're you're hitting that target too well but also make sure that you're hitting the target like i used to have this i don't like to split people into men and women in this but i definitely noticed this with women so much more than men um was a lot of my female clients when i had them on right you need to hit 1600 calories for the day you know I, I noticed it with not the majority a minority but you know still I trained a lot of women um a, a lot of them would just be like aggressively way below that target and I, I had to say to them I don't want this yeah you're probably not logging perfectly so it's probably not as bad as it looks but I'm not you don't need a 500 calorie deficit you don't need a 600 calorie deficit especially women who tend to be lighter to start with um so yeah uh, and the other one is just a very simple one, but the more you move, the more you exercise, the easier everything becomes because it's not all about your diet then. you Exercise is not a good replacement for a, a proper diet because, um, again, you tend to overestimate the amount of calories you're burning. Um, but making sure that you move will help because it will give you that little bit more leeway. You know, you can you can have that that slightly bad Friday night where you have a kebab instead of your meal because at least you you know you're you're exercising more than you were. Um, this can come in any form. It doesn't have to be the gym, um, although the gym is great for that. And especially what I like about going to the gym is that it's a it's a fixed place that you have to travel to. So it's like part becomes part of a routine rather than if you're doing it at home where it's like I mean I've got an exercise bike a meter to my left. I haven't done any exercise today other than a walk with a dog. I am not going on that bike. Like, it's just not happening. I might do it tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, so there is benefits to going to the gym, but just walking more is a great one. Like I said, 50,000 step target. So it's not the 10,000 a day, but that's just too high anyway. Um, but 50,000 a week would be definitely, you'd be walking enough to, to classify yourself as active, possibly even very active. Um, but also sports, like... 
there are so many be- so much benefits to joining a local sports team or you know do, doing exercise classes which i guess kind of count or something like that where it's a bit of you're mixing with people obviously this is without the coronavirus pandemic etc but you know you're mixing with people you're getting to know more people um sport is a great way to increase your energy expenditure because once you've started going a long time, you look forward to going. You know, it's more fun than the gym. It's it's literally a game. So, and then you've got the community side of it, and you've got the you know we need you to turn up, otherwise we don't have enough players, etc. You know, um, if you don't like sport, then don't do it. But it's just a, another way that's not necessarily the gym. Right. So I'm just going to finish this off by talking about my beer. Um, I know this is coming out in I think maybe even February. Um, but this is being recorded on the 6th of December. So um, it's another one of my uh, beers that my missus made a beer advent calendar for me. And it's a Twisted Knots American IPA. Um, this is a little beer. Um, and they've got their own sort of craft beer company called Haverwood. But a little bit of research and I could have been lied to. So, you know. This might not be true, but the research I looked up was that it's actually brewed by a Scottish brewery, uh, the Stewart Brewing Company, for Lidl, under Lidl's name of Heatherwood Craft Beer Company. Um, yeah, so another Scottish craft beer brewery. I think this pod, uh, this series of podcasts has just been absolutely filled with um, non-stop Scottish breweries. Uh, but yeah, the beer... it. What I've got to say about this beer is that it's very, very inexpensive. So it was, you know, it's like less than two pounds, I think, for the can. Um, so compared to, you know, the big hitters, this is a very cheap beer. And you've got to bear that in mind when you're saying about it. Personally, it's not my favourite. It's not going to be making my list of the top ten beers of this series of beer and, bo- uh, beer and biceps. But it's all right. It, it's not too strong, which I like. It's very bitter and it's very dark colour, um, which was I was quite surprised by. Normally IPAs are quite light. Um, this looked more like an English IPA, though it literally says American IPA, Amersbury in Scotland. Um, but yeah, it's, it's supposed to have a grapefruit aroma with notes of zesty citrus fruit. And I'm not really getting that at all. Um, it just... Sort of like that almost skunky sort of taste that you get from uh, some American hops. When uh, I'm not even sure if there are American hops in it. There are loads of hops in it. Um, I think most of them are English hops, actually. But citrus American, um, and that's a pretty common one. But yeah, not massively impressed, but it's fine. Um, it's low enough in alcohol, and it's not so strong tasting that I could probably see myself having a couple of these not having a problem but I don't think I would search out for this in the future um saying that I've had another one of the little um beers which was another their other IPA which has got like a shark on it I think the picture um that was very good so it's not all it's not like they're terrible beers they're fine they're just cheap and cheerful I'd call it not uh not incredible anyway um have a good one guys talk soon